Hi, this is Lauren Delmont, former Disneyland cast member and current Disney English China cast member, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 46 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we have part two of our three-part interview with Lauren Delmont. Last time, we talked about how she started working for Disney and about the Disney English program she's working with in China right now. This time, we talk about our second major subject and the one that inspired me to reach out to Lauren to do this interview in the first place, the DVD that she and her dad made, The Secret Tour of Disneyland. Now, as with part one, there's still a few places where it distorts or drops out thanks to an international Skype connection. Hopefully, I've minimized it enough that it won't be distracting for you, but I wanted to make sure you know what's going on if you do notice it. In this episode, Lauren talks about her favorite memories from working at Disneyland, how she felt like she was carrying on the legacy and tradition of what Walt Disney wanted his cast members to be like, how she and her dad, John, got the idea for the Secret Tour of Disneyland DVD, the process of making the DVD. I could have broken this little description down into a lot more pieces, but this is enough to give you the idea. It's really interesting, and there were several pieces to it. Um, what the script that she used had in common with the pirate code from Pirates of the Caribbean. The most interesting things she learned about Disneyland during the making of the DVD. Her favorite attraction and what she learned about it that made her appreciate it more. An attraction she wasn't as fond of but learned to appreciate more and the field trip involved. Plans for updated editions or other versions of the secret tour. Challenges while filming one place that they weren't able to film but wanted to, and one place they didn't expect to but did. Getting cast members to tell stories for the DVD, trying for internal continuity, and eventually just throwing that out the window. The farthest and most interesting places they went to see connections to Disneyland. And as before, after the interview segment, I'll play the audio from one of the YouTube clips for The Secret Tour of Disneyland. Last time was about Fess Parker's window. This time it's going to be something different. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee, 
Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. We've talked quite a bit about the uh, English program and the different interactions you've had with the kids and what you've been able to do for them. And I know that your summer at Disneyland was eight years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> Sorry to make you feel old, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, but from that three months or so that you were there, do you remember any uh, favorite stories of anything that you were able to do that made magic for a guest or even something a guest did that made magic for you? Any kind of special moments? Um, there was just, yeah, a lot of times when I would be talking and interacting with somebody and they would just say something to me like, oh, wow, like you're the first person we've talked to today that smiled so much and thank you for that and just things like that. And I remember that would always surprise me because I'm like, we're at Disneyland. Like, why wouldn't you be smiling and happy? Right. (laughs) So, yeah, just things like that where it was kind of a mutual exchange where I was happy that I could be doing something for them. And at the same time, they were making me happy by telling me that, yeah, what I was doing was <laughs> on the right track and that I was giving off the v- typical what Disney is supposed to be vibe, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, yeah, it was the 50th anniversary, so things were crazy. And I know people that I worked with weren't always in the best of moods. And <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just trying to, yeah, always be positive and upbeat and smiling like we're supposed to. And, yeah. So, yeah, I just remember that would always make my day when... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, During those times like that, did you ever kind of feel like you were carrying on that tradition and that legacy of what Walt wanted his cast members to be like? I did, yeah. And um, I guess I took my uh, job very seriously. And (laughs) if I was having a bad day, I would always just, yeah, wait until I was on my break to (laughs) kind of give myself that 15 or 30 minutes of like, oh, what's going on today? But, um, But yeah, whenever I was on stage, especially, I think it helps that I was already doing theater in high school and that, yeah, later did it in college and having that mentality of like, I'm in character, I'm on stage. Like (laughs) right now it's yeah, not about what I'm going through. It's about trying to make this a special experience for the people here. And um, yeah, especially during that time, just meeting all the people who were there for the first time from out of state or out of country and remembering that this is like their one chance for Disneyland and this is their first time here and trying to make that special for them and trying to, yeah, make it a magical experience and understanding that the lines were really long and it was hot and (laughs) 
all that, but <laughs> now, yeah, forget about all that, and you're still at Disneyland, and yeah, it's still magical. <laughs> That's right. Bad day at Disneyland is still better than a good day almost anywhere else. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you mentioned it about your theater training and having that be-in-character mindset, and I think people underestimate the importance of that on-stage, backstage concept yeah. that's part of Disneyland. Yeah, they do. And it's, yeah, it's important to remember because most workplaces don't have that. And I just remember, yeah, when I was working at Disneyland, every time I would leave and go out somewhere else with my friends, like to a restaurant or to the movies or something, and there was someone behind the counter that <laughs> obviously wasn't happy to be there. And <laughs> wasn't happy that you were there and I didn't understand it and then yeah I had to remember like oh that's right I work at Disneyland <laughs> <laughs> we have this special training that we're supposed to be happy to be there and we are happy to be there most of the time and <laughs> but I'm lucky to have this job and <laughs> right and yeah I even I heard somebody say once and I wish I could remember who it was if I could I'd give them credit but I have no idea uh but they were talking about the reason that a lot of times even the guests seem kind of more enjoying the experience and more well-behaved than they do when they're in other amusement parks or even other theme parks or whatever is that at least subconsciously they kind of get that whole onstage backstage thing too. And they understand when I walk into the park, I have a role to play exactly. in this you know, I'm supposed to be a guest and I'm supposed to behave this certain way. And so they take on this character as well. Exactly. Yeah. Especially too, just, but it's the happiest place on earth. And <laughs> as soon as you go through those gates, I remember, yeah, a lot of parents, restaurants, like this was their break in the day <laughs> because uh -huh. it's like, okay, finally, like air conditioning, we're sitting down and <laughs> not standing in a line and not trying to run around and see everything. And, yeah, just them coming in and being so relieved to <laughs> have that break. But at the same time, you could tell they were still happy to be there. And you could see the excitement that their kids were having and wanting to yeah, have that, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Well, now let's stay on the subject of Disneyland, but shift gears a little bit, because I want to talk about that secret tour of Disneyland DVD that you and your dad did. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, I love it. I think it's great. I uh, I got the second edition, and I think I got it for Christmas last year, and I was so excited to get it. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to make. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, let let's talk about it. First of all, and I know that this is something that you've talked about in a couple other podcast interviews you did, but I'm just going to assume that most people listening right now have not heard those. Um, so why did you want to do it in the first place? Well, How did that come about? It actually came up right after my summer at Disneyland and it started off as a school project for my Spanish class of all things. <laughs> <laughs> you and language. Yes, you and language. I don't know. We have this connection. <laughs> but, so yeah, my in my senior year for my Spanish class, we had to create some sort of presentation on um, a place that we really liked. And I really liked Disneyland. So I thought, why not do that? So I made this video with my dad and it was 15 minutes long. And it was called, at the time, El Secreto de Disneylandia. <laughs> so, yeah, we just took a camera one weekend and went to the park and just filmed different little things and, that we enjoyed about Disneyland. And um, 
showed it to my class and my class loved it. And then my dad, yeah, actually came up with the idea and he's like, oh, well, we did this 15 minute thing and we had a lot of fun doing it. Why not make like an hour long version, but in English? And then eventually that hour long project turned into a two and a half hour <laughs> DVD that took us over two years to film. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because you have to remember, he was working full time and I was going to college full time by the point that we started filming. And so, yeah, working around both of our schedules and just going during a weekend or (laughs) going a day after school and filming something. And (laughs) what was that making of process like? Um, Two years is a long time. (laughs) It's a long time and it was very... um, (laughs) It evolved a lot over the two years. Basically, when we started out, we had this naive idea in our heads like, oh, we'll just go and do like we did with the Spanish thing and kind of just walk around the park and get ideas and just film really quickly and not really have a script or anything like that. But um, we soon realized probably after the first six months (laughs) of trying to do that, that that wasn't working. So. Then we kind of like sat down and did our research and actually wrote out a script. And then from that point, it was a lot more organized where, like I said, as soon as we would have time, we would go, we'd have the script, we'd know kind of in our heads, like, okay, we're going to try to get these three or four things done today. And um, again, we were filming it while (laughs) Disneyland was operating in full and it was kind of just working around that. So a few times, yeah, it was having to wait for parades to end or having to wait for people to pass or waiting for people to stop staring behind me. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. But um, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, I, I can speak from similar experience doing an audio walking tour that actually did turn out to be about an hour that okay. I just recorded a, oh, it was a month or so ago uh, in connection with a book that I wrote. And I did the same thing you guys did the first time. I'm just going to show up and I kind of know what I want to talk about. And so I'll just, and that was a horrible idea. (laughs) You realized it quicker than we did though. It sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to have it ready for launch day for my book, which was November 15th. And I went like October 27th, I think was the first time. I didn't have a lot of time for a learning curve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, did anything from that first six months end up in the dvd or did you go back and just reshoot everything that you'd started trying to do um some of the things i believe yeah actually did end up in it because like i said we sort of had a general idea of what we wanted to talk about and we had done the spanish one so in those first six months we did reshoot things that we had done for the spanish version but in english so that we had kind of already rehearsed before. So a few of those did end up in the DVD, but then, yeah, there was also (laughs) a lot of things that didn't end up making the cut. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm curious, you mentioned working out a script. Did you actually have to memorize these pages of script or was it just kind of to give you an idea of the high points and the the most important details, and then you kind of improv from there. Yeah, to quote the Pirates of the Caribbean, it was more of a guideline, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we had the script, um, which we had worked on together, but sometimes, yeah, since we did do the script kind of all in a few months, like we would be probably three, four, five months later that we were actually filming it, and 
we would I would start doing the lines how it was written in the script and be like you know that just doesn't sound right or that doesn't sound natural to me so we would change it or work on it at that point um but yeah it was basically just a guideline so that we knew like we're getting a shot of this and this is the main point that we want to get across in the shot and this is like the main secret or <laughs> the main idea and then yeah it would kind of go from there Okay. I'm sure that as you were doing it, you learned a lot I did. about it. <laughs> what was the most surprising or unusual or interesting thing that you learned? Um, there was just a lot of things that, I mean, of course I had seen all the time, but didn't realize like that there was this huge story behind them. Like probably one of the bigger ones for me was the Dominguez palm that's next to the jungle cruise. Mm -hmm. um, there's yeah, this palm tree that runs right up against the Jungle Cruise ride that the family that owned the land before Walt bought it, this was a wedding present between the grandparents. And so it was a palm tree that had been on the land for generations. And they told Walt when he bought the land that you can have it, but please like keep this palm tree here. And so he stayed true to his word and he kept it in the same location and built the Jungle Cruise like right up to... <laughs> <laughs> as close as you can get to that palm tree and I remember yeah that was a really interesting one for me because it's something that obviously everyone's passing by as they're going into the ride but has no idea yeah why it's there because <laughs> you wouldn't think about it <laughs> right didn't they even cut out a little section of the roof they to did. make room for it, it? yeah <laughs> there's like a section of the roof that's cut so it goes around the palm tree but farming <laughs> it in any way so yeah that was a big one um I remember also the coca-cola corner with the red and the white flashing lights that are there uh-huh they go yeah red white red white and there's one light bulb because there's an odd number and they told waltz like okay well do you want two white light bulbs next to each other or two red light bulbs and he's like i want a light bulb that's half and half so it keeps the pattern and so they <laughs> made like a special light bulb that's half red and half white and you can still find it there so yeah that detail i remember too is funny and also yeah just a testament to Walt's character of wanting everything to be perfect and <laughs> yeah I love pointing that light bulb out to yeah. people that's something that I think literally nobody notices unless they know to look exactly, for it exactly <laughs> I point it out to people too and then of course when you're looking up at something other people around you're gonna stop and wonder what you're looking at so Usually I try to point it out to strangers as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> pass it on because, yeah, it is a really fun fact and <laughs> easy one to point out. Mm-hmm. Did you learn anything or kind of discover anything about one of your favorite attractions that gave you a greater appreciation of it? Um, i trying to think. Probably the um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. It's always been, yeah, one of my favorite attractions and... I didn't know that originally it was meant to be a walkthrough ride <laughs> and a walkthrough attraction. So that was something interesting for me to find out. And it made me appreciate what they ended up turning it into because <laughs> it's so much easier rather than, yeah, just having it be something you walk through. <laughs> yeah. Walk through wax museum kind of attraction just wouldn't have been the same. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, and you know what? Let's turn that question around a little bit. I just thought of this and maybe it would even been a more interesting one to ask we'll see uh is there any attraction that you weren't particularly fond of that you learned something about that made you appreciate it more mm, let's see assuming there's even any attractions you're not I particularly know. fond of I, was like, oh. <laughs> I don't want to 
like out any attraction is the one that I don't like. But um, I guess it's a small world. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. My favorite attraction. I mean, I'm sure I loved it when I was little, but as an adult now, or sort of an adult, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it has. It's not always one where when I go to Disneyland, I'm like, oh, we have to go in. It's a small world, but. I do remember when we filmed the DVD, we took a little side project and went to the Jewel Stein Eye Institute at UCLA. And there's actually a mural there that Mary Blair created for the Eye Institute. And I remember, yeah, going and seeing that actually made me appreciate the ride a little bit more because just seeing her artwork in a different form and seeing it as a mural and everything was really cool. And that made me, uh, have more appreciation for It's a Small World and feel a little bit, yeah, closer to <laughs> her ideas for the ride and everything and her designs and, yeah. Right. Because she was basically, I don't know what her actual title was, but basically like the art director uh-huh. for It's a Small World, if, as I recall. So, And there's actually a doll that represents her in the attraction, uh-huh. too. So I can't remember. It's been a little while since I watched the DVD, so I don't remember if you guys talked about it on there. I don't think we mentioned the doll, no. But that would have been a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for the third the edition. edition. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you actually have any thoughts or plans or anything to maybe update it again in the future? Or are you pretty good with what you've got? Yeah, we've, we've considered updating it. And we're also considering possibly doing one of the other parks. Um, California Adventure isn't quite old enough yet, but... We've been considering, yeah, maybe doing a DVD of Walt Disney World, or I'm trying to convince my dad Walt Disney Paris. Let's <laughs> 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 go to Paris for a few weeks and <laughs> film that. I imagine that's a hard sell, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a hard sell, but I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I've actually um, been to the Hong Kong Disneyland here. And when my dad, he's coming to visit me in April, right before my contract ends, and we're going to be going there, so... We're considering maybe not doing like a Secrets of Hong Kong Disneyland because it's not very old at all, but um, possibly just a walkthrough of the park and just pointing out some of the things that are very different about <laughs> it compared to Disneyland in California, just because most people don't make it to the Hong Kong one. So yeah, just kind of making a fun that just to show people or maybe even just like a YouTube series. <laughs> uh huh. Could be good, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder, and I don't know that there's a definite answer to this, but I wonder how long a park really needs to be around before it's kind of aged enough for something like the Secret Tour to be you, you know, yeah. effective. I don't know. That's a good question because obviously, yeah, Disneyland had been around for over 50 years when we filmed this. Um, but even, yeah, California Adventureland, there's been so many changes made from, I remember going there, yeah, on opening day, and <laughs> even there, yeah, attractions have changed a lot and everything, and I'm sure there are some interesting stories behind it, um, or yeah, even Walt Disney World, I've only been there once, but I'm sure yeah, there's a history there as well that could merit it, maybe not two and a half hour long DVD, but... <laughs> Maybe a half an hour, an hour, or something like that. Right. Maybe two and a half hours and hit all four parks. Exactly, yeah. Something like that, yeah. (laughs) When you were making it, aside from the scheduling issues, did you have any, like, major challenges or 
issues or anything that you had to deal with or any hurdles or did it all go pretty smooth? Um, for the most part, it was pretty smooth. Like I said before, it was definitely a learning, <laughs> learning right. experience. Like obviously, yeah, when we first started doing it with the intention of thinking we could get away with not having a script, um, that was a little frustrating for both of us because yeah, I wasn't really sure what I was saying and we'd start getting frustrated with each other and people would start staring. And <laughs> <laughs> no, this isn't what it's supposed to be about. And but yeah, when we did have the script, it did go it went more smoothly. There were, yeah, again, like I said, a few times where we'd have issues with people as I mean, I had like a wireless microphone on me and <laughs> My dad obviously had a really nice camera that we were using that he had borrowed from his work. And so, yeah, we did get looks and a few times we had security approach us and ask what we were up to and <laughs> <laughs> kind of had to explain to them that it was a quote unquote school project that we were working on. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just different things like that. But for the most part, yeah, surprisingly, it did go very smoothly and Especially yeah, for all the filming we did, we didn't really run into any major problems except working around our schedules and <laughs> working around things at the park. Right. Was there any place that you wanted to or anything that you wanted to film and include in there that you didn't get to or anything that you didn't think you'd be able to but ended up it working out? Um, there was the one yeah thing that I think my dad was really sad that we weren't able to get was Walt's apartment. We, mm -hmm. we tried and he had a connection and actually was able to contact Diane Disney and asked her if it would be possible, but she said it wasn't. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we weren't actually able to get into there. So that's why we created the, in the DVD, this whole animation green screen <laughs> thing. Right. Um, which is really cute. Yes, which, is, which was our way of, yeah, all the places that we could go to because we couldn't get in or because they no longer existed. We came up with, yeah, well, well, if we can't go in, then we'll just make a green screen and do the best we can with it. And um, so, yeah, that was cool. And the Club 33 was our one that we were really excited that we were able to get in and that they let us film there, which was nice. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they were super helpful, and um, we took a while, and we actually ended up being there on the day that David Beckham and his wife, Victoria Beckham, were there with their children, <laughs> and so we actually didn't realize that they were there until we went to film, um, I think it's called the Trophy Room in Club 33, and that's mm. where they were seated, and my dad and I come in with this camera, and he, David immediately, like, stands up, like, defensive pose, he's, like, gonna kick us or something, <laughs> Because <laughs> he immediately thinks, yeah, that we're trying to film him. We had to be like, oh, no, no, sorry. Like, <laughs> we're doing something else. But hi, nice to meet you. And <laughs> we can film you if you want. Yeah, can, if you want to be in the DVD, and that would be awesome. Get more sales. <laughs> um, that would be cool. But yeah, so. Um, but we were, yeah, like I said, able to film in Club 33. And we ended up being the last people at the club that day. And our waiter was super friendly guy I wish I remembered his name and yeah he took us around and was showing us all these things that we didn't even know about and we got to film those and then um he did something really cool which we weren't able to film but he took us through this door that actually leads from club 33 into the blue bayou and at that point the blue bayou was closed and pirates of the caribbean was closed so it was just kind of a cool <laughs> 
experience to get to go through this door and then we're on this like fake balcony scene that you see in the blue bayou as you're passing in the pirates and um just seeing all the boats go by with nobody in them which was <laughs> really cool wow yeah i just i got to eat there for the first time about two weeks ago oh, three nice. weeks ago now something like that and I, i'm such a nerd the one of the coolest things to me was going out on the balcony not not necessarily the one that faces the rivers of America, uh-huh. although that was really cool. We were actually seated right by one of the doors that leads out that direction. Oh, nice. Um, so that was really neat. But it was going around the corner and being able to look at the decorated balconies at eye level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had, yeah, I, know, I had the same experience. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh-huh. I don't know, kind of like that celebrity feeling because you're up there and people are wondering how you got up there and like... <laughs> What are they doing? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to put your sunglasses on when you go outside. Exactly, and... exactly. <laughs> yeah. So now the DVD's been out for a few years. I don't, I don't remember exactly what the release date was, but it's been you know, a little bit of time. What's it been like for you now that it's been out for a while? Do you ever, or, you know, do you get contacted or hear from people very much that say that they've seen it, or you know, has has it really had any any uh impact um yeah we do get contacted still about it and we've gone to a few of like the disney trade shows and that's always really fun having people like come to our table and tell us like oh we bought the dvd online or we bought it at the last show and loved it and it was so great and (laughs) just things like that it's really nice to hear just people leaving comments because we have the um youtube channel that kind of promotes it and just, yeah, whenever people leave comments on there that they purchased it and things like that. Or my dad's always really excited when we sell a DVD to somebody in a different country and he'll call me and be like, oh, somebody in Germany has your DVD now or somebody <laughs> in Japan has the DVD. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just really fun. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you were actually doing the filming uh, and even for a little bit after did going to Disneyland ever kind of start to feel like not really a job necessarily, but like instead of going to have fun, you were kind of always thinking about the stories or the the trivia or, hey, next time we should get a shot over here yeah. or something like that and not really in, you know, just enjoying it as much? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, it would, I've always had a past and it's always kind of been like me and my dad's thing to do together and we were going there all the time anyway, and this is kind of just like a cool, different thing to do while we were at Disneyland. And we tried to, yeah, never make it seem like it was a job or never like put too much pressure on ourselves. That's why probably it took us so long. <laughs> we did not have a deadline. It was always kind of just like I would come down from school for the weekend and he'd have work off and we'd just kind of go and kind of would always have in our minds like all right we want to try to get these like three or four shots done but usually we'd like go in the morning and try to get things done before it got too crowded and then go have lunch together somewhere and kind of hang out hit a ride or two and call it a day so yeah it was never ever really any pressure to get things done and I mean it was still fun too just to kind of as we were walking around to be thinking about different and it was always really nice too when cast members would talk to us or see us filming and they would approach us and ask about what we were doing and 
some of them would get really excited, which are probably the ones that you see on the DVD. And <laughs> they would be like, oh, I could tell you stories. And <laughs> like the one guy who told us about Walt's ghost at the Golden Horseshoe, he was awesome. And yeah, he just saw us filming a part in front of the Golden Horseshoe and came up to us and was like, oh, I could tell you all sorts of stories. And <laughs> so it was kind of just like, okay, record. And <laughs> he took it away. And <laughs> so yeah, just moments like that were really cool because it's like, Obviously, yeah, we've been going to Disneyland for all these years, and I had been a cast member previously, but it was nice to, yeah, just to be approached by cast members who were interested in it or who had stories to tell and were excited to tell them and actually have them be recorded, and that was nice. Yeah, and that's something that you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't been doing that. Exactly, yeah. It's <laughs> great. Yep. You know, speaking, again, from personal experience, I was doing it enough. I'm kind of taking a little bit of a break for the month of December, but I was doing it enough that if like it, it kind of got to the point where every time I was at Disneyland, it felt like I was there for work. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, th this is not good. This is not the way it's supposed okay. to be. So, but I had some built-in deadlines exactly. and time constraints <laughs> and things like that. So more pressure. <laughs> next time to put all that aside. Yeah, exactly. More pressure. Yeah, like I said, the funny thing about uh, because it took us so long to film, I was 18 when we started the DVD, and I was 20 when we finished it, and I obviously cut my hair during that time, and <laughs> I think I dyed it at one point. My dad was like, why did you dye your hair? It's going to show up in the DVD. <laughs> um, also, yeah, just we tried starting out with like being very, um, like making every continuity, but there was a lot of continuity mistakes as it went on, because... <laughs> and then we eventually gave up on it because originally, yeah, he'd have me wearing like the same shirt every time and the same necklace every time. And then one time I forgot to wear it and we we're just like, oh, we'll just film anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so my outfits change, my hair changes, <laughs> which is funny to watch. But yeah. <laughs> and I want to ask you one more question and then we're going to go even farther afield than this question is going to take us but you had mentioned going up to UCLA I think you said to film yeah uh, they're the Mary Blair mural that's up there what's the, is that the farthest afield from Disneyland that you went to get something from outside the park um I where was that kind of in the same general area we also went to Walt's barn near um, Griffith Park. So that was, yeah, I think we did those two in the same weekend, just drove up to LA. And yeah, that was a really cool one too, because we got to meet Michael Brody and he gave us the tour and we basically just got to follow him around for, I think he talked for three hours. And <laughs> my dad had to change the tape several times, but <laughs> it was great. He's like, okay, so shall we start? I was like, yeah. And I like asked him one question and then he was just like on automatic pilot. <laughs> <laughs> let me show you this and let me show you this so yeah that was really cool and I think yeah that was the furthest um and then we also went to the nursery in Newport Beach I believe it is where the original bandstand is today uh -huh. so that was, yeah drive but <laughs> didn't have to go too far <laughs> okay that's good w were there any locations that were just you were completely besides the UCLA one, because I know that one surprised you, but any, any others where you were just really surprised that, you know, this location has some connection to Disneyland? Um, Yeah, I was definitely very surprised when we found out that the bandstand was at the nursery in Newport Beach, because <laughs> he 
you go there yeah and it's just like a normal <laughs> nursery with flowers and plants and everything and then yeah then we were there during Christmas time I think and that was just really cool yeah getting to see it and then we kind of asked around a few employees if they knew anything about it and most of them said no and and then they're like oh you should talk to this one lady Opal and we're like okay where's Opal and they're like she'll be here tomorrow so we came in the next day and she was there and yeah she was just like this <laughs> wealth of information and knew the whole story behind it and was so excited to show it to us and said yeah that she did get people occasionally coming in and asking about it but that most of the time most people don't know what it is <laughs> or the history behind it <laughs> yeah i could see how that would be a surprise yeah <laughs> that's not too far from me i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that part of the video and then see if i can't make a little trip over yeah, there exactly it's, it's a nice drive too just straight up pch and <laughs> it's a really pretty area yeah nice okay <laughs> uh and at the end of the the podcast, I'm going to give you a chance to tell people where they can get the DVD and the YouTube channel and, and all of that. So we'll be sure to get that in. I'll put links in the show notes okay, and great. everything like that. But you had mentioned when we were setting up the interview, and then you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier in this interview, that you've also been to Hong Kong Disneyland yeah. several times. As I said, going way far afield from <laughs> Disneyland Park. <Yeah>. But, <laughs> um, what is it like there? Um, it's kind of like this strange alternate universe. Our tour begins here at Town Square. Notice the base of the flagpole behind me? There's actually a very interesting story behind it. When Disneyland was nearing completion back in 1955, money to finish the park was scarce. The story has it that Emile Curie, one of the original Disney designers, saw a car crash into a lamppost. That was close. He offered the city of Los Angeles $5 for the base. The city sold it to him as scrap metal, and Emile hauled his purchase back to Disneyland. He then used the ornate base as the foundation for the flagpole on Main Street. The base and the flagpole have been here ever since. A brass plaque with Walt's opening day speech rests at the foot of the flagpole, so be sure to check it out. Besides finding the base for the flagpole, Emile Curie won two Oscars, one for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He was also the head decorator of Main Street. Mind you, he had practice. In 1946, he was the set decorator for the Main Street in Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Lauren Delmont for being my guest, and to you for listening. In part three, we'll be talking about Hong Kong Disneyland, as well as our usual wrap-up questions. If you want to know what the most surprisingly scary ride is, and what meeting characters is like at Hong Kong Disneyland, among other things, come back next time. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and you'd like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime, 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let's talk. 
If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you, too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It should only take you a couple of minutes, and doing so would be really helpful for helping other people find the show, and I would really appreciate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like in this one, you'll be able to get the link to the Secret Tour of Disneyland DVD on Amazon. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.